you'll know that we were talking about Jesus, our healer. Um, and I, I, I know, like at the, at the 11.15 service, about 80% of people came forward and were either giving or receiving prayer. And we had a fabulous night at the gathering. And, and I've got pages of stories that people have sent in, ranging from... Because I just asked people, just tell me what happened last week. You know, whether you prayed for someone or received prayer. And there's a whole... Um, Rain. Nothing dramatic, but really encouraged me. I always feel out of my comfort zone during ministry time at the end of the service, but I did it. That's a hero. Um, in the first service, I didn't want to go up for prayer, but the demonstration was taking a place about how to pray for healing. I touched my little finger. It's been very painful with pins and needles and prayed using the words that were said in the demonstration and the pain lessened loads. So this morning I woke up and the pain had gone. Wonderful. Um, it was the first time I prayed for someone in public. Um, I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised that the words, though simple, just flowed out. Not only did the backache disappear from the person we prayed for, but the pain the other person had that was praying with them also disappeared before we could pray for her. That's actually theologically really important. That's for another day. Um, I asked for prayer for my right ear and lower back. I could feel some sensation, but the back pain and ear loss remained the same. That's the tension. Do you remember talk, Rob talking about the now and the not yet? That's that. Here's another one here. Um, wow, just been to church, but it wasn't really like a church. And they played guitars and the songs weren't like hymns. It was very spiritual. I had tears of joy running down my face and I received healing from my spine. It feels better for four years. If you were in a small group this week, I hope you enjoyed Dave's video. You see Dave's video? It's a stunning story of healing. So we're continuing our Simply Jesus uh, series this morning. Uh, we're going to be thinking about Jesus, our teacher. Now, when I mention teacher, probably some people have already started coming into your mind. Good, bad, and ugly. Might be a school teacher, sports coach, music teacher, dance instructor, family member, I wonder who comes to your mind. When I thought about this, I immediately went to my uh, secondary school life. I remember a geography teacher. Uh, his name was Bob Steele. He had very poor personal hygiene. And when he would lean across your desk, man, you'd know it. And uh, we had a nickname for him, but I will spare you that. Uh, we had a guy called Mr. Ireland, who wasn't Irish. He was actually Scottish. He was our PE and games master. Um, in our secondary school, we played rugby because in his view, football was for wimps. And in PE, for a couple of years, it included Scottish country dancing. You know, with swords on the floor, I have never been fitter in my life because if you don't pick your feet up, it hurts. And I, I remember some great teachers. I had a guy called Mr. Rogers. He sparked my interest in chemistry. Miss McPherson and Mr. Mangum, they taught me biology. What was it about those guys? If you think about some good teachers, what makes someone a great teacher? Well, if you talk to education experts, they will say these kinds of things. They will say that great teachers, firstly, set high expectations for their students. So a great teacher is not the one that lets you just slide by. They set a high bar. They demand a lot from their students. Secondly, Great teachers form strong relationships with their students. 
great teachers don't just love their subject matter, they love those that they teach. So I vividly remember an A-level biology field trip down to Bude, which is on the North Cornwall coast, and spending time with those teachers I mentioned, you know, in rock pools, up on the cliff edge, and then going for a drink at the end of the day. Thirdly, great teachers are masters of their subjects. They've got something to say. They're people who keep learning, and they inspire their students to keep learning. And fourthly, great teachers teach in ways that are memorable. They often have little sayings which you remember. So for us in the vineyard, um, the founding pastor of the vineyard was a guy called John Wimber. Here's a couple of things that he used to say. Faith is spelt R-I-S-K. Risk. Faith requires risk. Here's another thing he used to say. Doing the stuff. Shorthand for our call as Christians that we're going to continue doing what the Bible says that we do. Doing the stuff that Jesus did. So how does this connect with Jesus? If you've read the Bible... One of Jesus' primary activities was teaching when he was here on earth. We see him teaching in the temple, in the synagogues. He taught in people's homes. He taught as he traveled dusty roads. There's one account where he's teaching from a boat that was just off the shore. He taught up on a mountainside. He taught crowds. He taught one-to-one. He taught men and women. He taught young and old. And Jesus continues to teach today by his Holy Spirit. John chapter 14 says that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. Jesus continues to teach. So how does Jesus resemble a great teacher? Well, think back over those four qualities that I mentioned about great teachers. Great teachers set high expectations of their students. Did Jesus do that? Well, I'd suggest that he did. If you read Jesus' greatest kind of, you know, the most recorded sermon, you'll find it Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and 6, his longest section of teaching. Here's a few little bits from that, from that bit of teaching. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, and I would suggest the other way around, man lustfully, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Those are really easy, right? That's really low bar stuff for life. Great expectations. Secondly, great teachers love their students. They don't just love what they teach, they love who they teach. Do you think Jesus loved those he taught? Do you think Jesus loves you? One person here who thinks Jesus loves them. Do you think he loves you enough to die for you? Do you think your teacher loves you? Thirdly, great teachers know their subject matter. There's a great story at the age of 12. Jesus at the temple holding his own with people who were way more educated than him. Jesus knew scripture, and he knows how life works. And great teachers are memorable. What about Jesus? Do you remember any of the stuff that he taught? Some story about a good Samaritan? 
story about a guy that was building his house on the sand and his buddy that was building it on the rock. Story of a guy that went out with seed into his field and started sowing it. Story about his dad and his two boys and one of them goes off, prodigal son. Remember those kind of stories? Jesus' teaching is memorable. Maybe you remember the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Jesus is teaching. See, in so many ways, the Jesus we find in the Bible has all the qualities of a great teacher. But, Jesus is a unique teacher. And what I want to suggest this morning is that Jesus is similar to great teachers, but totally different. Similar, but totally different. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to John chapter 7. This is, a, this is paper. You might have one of these. You might have a phone or a gadget. If you don't have a Bible, the, the words will come up on the screen behind me. I'm going to read just a few verses from verse 14 of John chapter 7. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false in him. So what I want to do this morning is share three things that I believe set Jesus apart as our teacher. The great teacher, but totally different. Three things that set him apart. The first is, is that Jesus' teaching is wise. Teaching is wise. Did you notice the way in verse 15 that people were amazed? And that's a hallmark of Jesus' teaching. You, know, you go back to the account when he was 12, people were stunned that he knew so much at that age. Jesus holding his own with temple rabbis. My belief is that Jesus was wiser than anyone who has ever lived. But what do we mean by wisdom? I love this definition. Wisdom is skill in living. Skill in living. Wisdom is skill in relating to God and relating to all sorts of people. Wisdom is a way to relate to those who are rich and those who are poor, those who are young and those who are old, to parents, to children, to men, to women, to people who are ethnically similar to us and those who are ethnically very different to us. Now I'm going to get controversial. Wisdom is an ability to relate to leavers and remainers. To both. And that's really important. See, I've overheard conversations, and I've overheard them in this church, where someone who's told one political point of view has said of the others, you're brainless. I want to suggest that that is unwise. Jesus has more wisdom for us than that. Don't alienate 50% of people by being unwise. Jesus has skill for us in living. Wisdom is also skill in relating to life circumstances. Have you noticed that life goes 
Wisdom is an ability to relate when we're healthy and when we're sick. To relating to young parents, to empty nesters, to people getting old. Relating to those who have got very compliant children and those with very difficult children. Those, uh, it's ability to relate to office hassles, to sexual temptation, to marital issues. Wisdom is an ability to relate to life circumstances. See, in the secular society that we live in, we're often told that the answers that we need are found in science. So what we need is more research, more study, because science will tell us the answers. Now, I love science. For those that know me, I spent six years doing undergraduate and postgraduate studies, 12 years working in pharmaceutical research and development. I love science. But the thing that I know is this, that science helps us to answer questions of how, but not the questions of who and why. They're answering different questions. There are questions about our world and about our life that science cannot answer. But Jesus can. And that's wisdom. So, do you think that Jesus is a wise teacher? Do you think that Jesus has more skill in dealing with life, more insight about how life should work than you do? Do you think he has more skill in doing that? Because if, like me, you think that Jesus' teaching is wise, the question is, do we listen to him? That's the question. Do we listen to him? See, where do you go when you want an opinion about something? You know, you might be thinking, you know, should I sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Should I go for that temptation of that affair? How should I respond to mistreatment and injustice at work? How should I deal with that broken relationship? Where do you go? Where do you go? You turn to a friend? That's okay. You turn to the guy at the pub? Possibly okay. You turn to a therapist? Or do we turn to Jesus? Who are we going to listen to? See, I believe that Jesus' teaching is wise. We need to listen to him. Second thing, back to our text. Verses 15 and 16. Let me read this again. The Jews there were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Second thing, Jesus' teaching is authoritative. It's authoritative. See, the crowds were amazed by Jesus' teaching, and they knew that he had no formal training. He'd not been to one of the great rabbi schools. He'd not studied with a famous rabbi. So they're wondering, how did he get such mastery of Scripture? How did he have such understanding of God's will? And Jesus says that his authority didn't come through the typical process. In other words, it would normally happen through a a rabbinic chain. One rabbi would pass on teaching to another, to another. And Jesus said that, that... His his path was different. He said, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Do you see the way that Jesus is a great teacher, but totally different? Totally different. So what does it mean for us to say that Jesus' teaching is authoritative? What I believe it means 
is that we bring our lives under the teaching of Jesus. Our entire lives under the authority of Jesus' teaching. All of it. All of our thinking, all of our opinions, all of our perspectives under Jesus. Our opinions about politics, immigration, divorce, money, giving, sex, what we do with someone who offends us, what we do when we disagree with someone. You know, I believe it is impossible for a person to accept Jesus as their teacher and then in response to something that Jesus taught said, well, I don't really agree with that. It doesn't work that way. You see, at the point that we substitute our opinion for his opinion, we have veered off from following Jesus. Jesus' teaching, I believe, is authoritative over relationships. You know, whether, you know, you think in the area of marriage, I believe his teaching is authoritative over whether we marry, who we marry, how we relate in marriage. It's authoritative over being single, how we live as a single person. It's authoritative over how we relate to other people in the workplace, at church. All of it under the teaching of Jesus Christ. Let me share something that may be just a little bit more personal. Maybe you've had a conversation with someone, or maybe you do in the future and this is helpful to you. You have a conversation with someone and they say, you know, I'm just not happy in my marriage. I'm just not happy. And I've, I've, I've got the papers from the solicitor. I'm, 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 just, I'm just getting out of it. And so you listen to them. And at the same time, you remember the three A's that the Bible gives as grounds for divorce. So, you know, at the right point in the conversation, you say, look, look, tell me, tell me here. Are you being abused? Are you at risk? Is there, is there something of that nature that's going on in your marriage? You say, no, no, nothing like that at all. You say, oh, okay. So, so tell me, has there been any unfaithfulness? Is there adultery? No, no, nothing like that at all. You know, not on my part. And you say, okay, so have you been abandoned? Has, has the other person just walked out? Have they just taken all the money? Have they just left you? No, nothing like that at all, Andy. They're just... I'm just unhappy in my marriage. And so you maybe then just share, you know, the various ways that a church can get alongside and support someone, that the particular ministries that we have, people who can come along and help and support. There are fabulous agencies out in the community that can help. And then you might just have to say this. You know what? One of the things that Jesus taught was that what God has joined together, no one should separate. And often at, that, often at that point, the person says something like this. Well, I guess I'll just have to pray about it. Now, at that point, that inner scream that you want to let come out loud, contain it. That inner scream that says something like, what on earth are you going to be praying about? Are you going to be praying about whether Jesus actually said those words? Are you, are you going to be praying about whether he meant them for you, whether they apply to you? Are you going to pray about what not separating means? All of our lives under the teaching of Jesus Christ. 
So here's a question. If you, like me, think that Jesus is authoritative, do we obey him? If we believe and think his teaching is authoritative, do we obey him? Verse 17, Jesus says this, anyone who chooses to do the will of God, not just debate it, not just discuss it, not just think about it, not just pray about it, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. You see, the best way for any of us to find out if Jesus' teaching works is to do it, is to obey it, is to live it out. And one of the things that that means is this, and I will try and just demonstrate that to us. One of the things, if we believe that Jesus' teaching is authoritative and we want to obey it, we need to get low. And we need to get on our knees and look up at him and look up at what he says. And what we will see is Jesus towering above us, lovingly. And when we're on our knees and when we get low, we bring our entire life under the teaching and the authority of Jesus Christ. Get low. Get low. I believe it's only on our knees that we're going to see Jesus as he really is. Only on our knees. See, Jesus' teaching is wise. Jesus' teaching is authoritative. The third thing, do you notice that Jesus' teaching is self-focused? Jesus' teaching is self-focused. Verse 18, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth, There is nothing false about him. Have you noticed as you've read through the Gospels that the main subject of Jesus' teaching was himself? Have you noticed that? If you haven't, go read a Gospel and have a look at it with that lens. See, Jesus wasn't just giving us information or a new philosophy, but he was giving us himself. That was the focus of his teaching. You might have heard of a guy called John Stott. He was one of the great Bible scholars of the late 20th century. And he said this, Jesus is a combination of the self-centeredness of his teaching and the unself-centeredness of his behavior. Let me just ponder that just for a moment. The self-centeredness of his teaching and the unself-centeredness of his behavior. Jesus repeatedly points to himself as the answer to life questions. Teaching is self-focused. So here's just some of the things that Jesus said. He said, when you feel like a lost sheep, I'm the good shepherd. Points to himself. When you're sick, I'm the doctor who comes to heal you. When you're hungry, I am the bread of life. When you're trapped in darkness, I'm the light of the world. When you sin and mess up, I'm your rescuer and savior. And when you die, I'm your resurrection and your life. See, Jesus doesn't give us abstract principles or philosophy. Whatever our situation is, what we need most is Jesus. Not a principle not a nice answer, we need 
Jesus. Simply Jesus. See, what Jesus offers us as a teacher is himself. And here's my third and final question this morning. If you, like me, agree that Jesus' teaching is self-focused, do we come to him? If his teaching is self-focused, do we come to him? Jesus said this in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. John chapter 6, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John chapter 5. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have See, I believe Jesus says this to us this morning. If you're weary, you need more of me. If you're hungry, you need more of me. If you're anxious or depressed, you need more of me. If you're grieving, you need more of me. If you're angry, if you're struggling with purpose or injustice in life, you need more of me. If you want to live a great life, you need more of me. The very simple question is this. Will we say yes to Jesus' invitation to come to him? Will we say yes? I'd love us to pray. And I'd love us to pray because there, there may well be some here this morning where you've never taken that step of saying yes to Jesus for yourself. You've never come to him for yourself. Maybe you've been going to church for years and years and years. Maybe family have just dragged you along this morning. But today, you hear Jesus saying to you, come to me. Come to me. And so I'd love to just pray a prayer that leads us in, it leads us in that this morning. So why don't we just bow our heads? Lord Jesus, thank you that you invite me to come to you to find life, to find everything that I need. Jesus, thank you that your arms are open wide to me. Jesus, that you are full of love, that you're full of mercy. Jesus, I'm sorry for the, the ways that I mess up, for the ways where I go my own way. But Jesus, today I turn around. I choose to come to you. Jesus, thank you that you welcome me, that you dust me down, you forgive my sin. And so, Jesus, I open my heart to you. I say yes to your invitation to come to you today. And I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I would know your presence in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen.